Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. Welcome to True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcast from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Up first on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for Death in Ice Valley. Here's a synopsis from the show page. An unidentified body. Who was she? Why hasn't she been missed? A BBC World Service and NRK original podcast investigating an unsolved mystery that has captivated Norway for over half a century. Before we jump in, if you want to take your listening experience to the next level, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. This one is a must for the visual aids. We have so many fascinating clues left behind by this mysterious woman, including handwriting samples and a code book, plus lovely photos of Bergen, Norway, where this story takes place. Uh, real talk, it's like 50 shades of gray outside here in Portland, Maine right now. It's dark and freezing and more depressing than a Coldplay song. But instead of rejecting this misery, I'm choosing to embrace it. Steer right into it, like when my car hits black ice and starts skidding into a snowbank. A daily occurrence right now. Did I mention it's only the second week of January? We still have three more months to go of this wretched suffering. <laughs> So I'm in the perfect mood to revisit this maddening, true crime, scandy noir case of the Isdal Woman, made famous by the hit podcast Death in Ice Valley. This show first dropped in 2018, and it was an absolute sensation. Not a perfect show, there's definitely some padding, but the main host slash investigator and native Norwegian Merit Higraf is a total pro. I am blown away by the work that went into this project, all the places Merritt went, tracking down leads, conducting dozens of interviews, 
sifting through police records and old documents in library basements. And then putting all that together, delivering it in a cohesive, entertaining package is no small feat. And I was also made very aware of the stark cultural differences between Northern and Southern Europeans. My kinsfolk come from Italy, and we are a loud people. The Norwegians, on the other hand, are not. If this show is any indication, it seems like they like to use their library voices at all times. There were so many moments when tuning into Death in Ice Valley, Marit Hagraf would be interviewing a Bergen local, and I'd have my volume on full blast and still be like, Speak up, Sonny, I can't quite hear ya! Aside from those little quirks, this show was a masterpiece. It led to new evidence being uncovered about the woman's identity and what caused her death, plus dozens of compelling crowdsourced theories from amateur true crime sleuths, including a dedicated Facebook group with over 40,000 members. 50 years after it happened, it still fascinates people to this day, even spawning true crime pilgrimages to Bergen, Norway, a city frozen in time. And still, after this exhaustive two-year investigation, the case of the Isdal woman still remains unsolved. I don't usually get down with unsolved mysteries, but this case feels like it will be cracked any day now due to modern genealogy DNA databases. Even if it doesn't, I'm still captivated by all the possible theories of who this woman was and who her killer might be. And since this podcast first aired, a new theory emerged in 2023 that I think is the most probable. So let's pick our way through Death in Ice Valley. The name given to the area of Bergen and the seven mountains that surround it. Though over the years, many of the locals refer to it as Death Valley after so many met their demise from suicide or hiking accidents a beautiful but haunting area in the North Sea. The tallest of those seven mountains is Ulriken. And on November 29th, 1970, a man and his two young daughters were hiking on Ulriken when they smelled a bizarre, smoky odor. The young girls, ages 10 and 12, ran ahead and made the grisly discovery of the charred body of a woman. She was half-clothed, lying face-up, her head pointed downhill. It was hours before they could make their way down the mountain back to the city of Bergen to notify the authorities. This was unlike any typical scene of a suicide, or murder for that matter. The woman had been severely burned, though there was no evidence of a campfire nearby. Her face was unrecognizable, but the back of her head and body were not burned. She had brown hair, was about 5 feet 4 inches tall, and seemed to be in her 20s, possibly early 30s, based on the style of her clothing. The woman had been wearing a wool jumper, nylon stockings, a scarf, and a fur hat that smelled of petrol. Not the typical outerwear for such a treacherous hike. There was a pair of women's rubber boots near her body, but not on her feet, and a purse containing a matchbook with no identification. Placed next to her in a neat pile was a ring, earrings, and a wristwatch stopped at the time 10 past 10. The time watches were usually set to in shops. 
There was also an umbrella, a glass liquor bottle, and two plastic water bottles, their labels ripped off, and a plastic passport holder, the passport missing. Word of this mysterious woman's death spread quickly across Ice Valley, the locals referring to her as the Isdell Woman, a placeholder name until they could track down her real identity. As the authorities are gathering evidence, they get another lead three days later. Two suitcases were left behind at the Bergen train station. The contents of the luggage only added to the intrigue. They discovered coins from Norway, Belgium, England, Germany, and Switzerland. Fancy-looking makeup with all of the labels removed, a tube of eczema cream with the prescription label rubbed off, and some fancy undergarments that were purchased from a sex shop in Germany. The underwear wasn't necessarily erotic, but an arousing detail, nevertheless. There was also a plastic bag from Oscar Rovet's footwear store located about 130 miles south in Stavanger. And here's where things get super tantalizing. The suitcase also contained a notepad written in code, a blonde wig, and non-prescription eyeglasses with the perfect fingerprint left on the lens. And they were able to match that fingerprint to the Isdell woman. An autopsy was performed at the Bergen Hospital. They found soot in the woman's lungs, meaning that she was still breathing when the fire occurred, and Femoral brand sleeping pills in her system. Based on her blood alcohol and stomach contents, they estimated that she had consumed around 60 pills, though not all of them had been absorbed into her body yet. There was also bruising on her neck. The conclusion? She died by a combination of barbiturates and carbon monoxide poisoning. But even with all of this strange evidence, just three weeks after the Eastell woman's body was found, the police ruled her death a suicide. She was buried in a zinc coffin so the coffin wouldn't decompose in the hopes that someday the woman would be claimed and she could be relocated. Then given a Catholic funeral, because it was assumed she was Catholic. More on that later. And before she was buried, they kept her jaw and teeth in the hopes again that someday the Eastell woman would be identified. And though they were satisfied with her cause of death at that time, police were still asking the public to come forward with any information. So first we follow the clues. Again, there was that bag with a label from the shoe store. So the investigation goes to Stavanger and talks to the shop owner's son. He remembers a customer fitting the Istel woman's description. Just a few days prior, he sold her a pair of rubber boots. The same rubber boots later found near her body. The shop owner's son was also able to give a very detailed physical description of this mysterious woman because her features were quite exotic for Norway. He said she was attractive, dressed very chic, with long dark hair and brown eyes. However, she had one major turnoff, a smell of a strong, offensive odor later determined to be the smell of garlic. Yeah, so I guess in the 1970s, not only were brown-haired, brown-eyed people exotic in Norway, Norwegians also hated garlic. It smelled and tasted way too strong, 
and cultural preferences geared toward more mild flavors to match their soft library voices. Meanwhile, while I'm adding garlic to a recipe, that Luther Vandross song plays in my head like, Never too much, never too much, never too much. And this is me speculating wildly, but I'm guessing this is why they gave her a Catholic funeral. Because if we're going by 1970s Norwegian standards, only Catholics ate garlic. Anyway, at this point, based on the contents of her suitcase, I was thinking that Estelle woman was a foreign spy. But now I'm second-guessing all that because she stood out way too much in both appearance and odor. So, unless she's spying on Norse vampires, there's something else going on here. But before we dig into those theories, I need to give you some more deets. Investigators traced her steps from the shoe store to a nearby hotel, where a woman matching the description checked in under the name Fenella Lorch. Huzzah! We've got a name. It's kind of a weird one, but we got a name. Ugh, but oh wait, it seems like this is the only time the Istel woman ever signed in anywhere under the name Fenella Lorch. And in fact, she was using a different name for every new hotel she checked in at around Norway. Based on her handwriting analysis and description, they were able to connect her to at least eight different names. Although closer to her death, it appears the Istel woman was attempting to disguise her handwriting. We see examples of less fluid lettering the last few days she was alive. And although no passports or identification was found on the woman or in her belongings, many hotels required guests to present their ID on check-in. And there were several accounts of the Isdell woman presenting a passport, which means it was possible she had multiple passports that matched her eight different aliases. So one step back, however, they were able to crack that puzzling code found in her suitcase. A seemingly random series of numbers and letters now look like they correspond to specific dates and locations of where she stayed before her death. Which wasn't just Norway. She had stayed all around Europe. And based on the code, it looked like Rome was perhaps her home base, though she claimed to be from Belgium on all of her check-in documents. Hotel staff recalled her speaking in German, English, and Flemish, though none of these languages seemed to be her native tongue. She also stood out to the housekeepers because they said she was moving furniture around, even moving chairs out into the hallway in front of her door. And she'd frequently asked to change rooms. When they went in to clean up after her, they described the rooms reeking of an offensive smell, like B.O. mixed with garlic and exotic spices. Her demeanor was confident especially considered she was a young, attractive woman traveling alone. This was decades before the whole Elizabeth Gilbert eat, pray, love phenomenon that spawned solo travels around the world where women would find themselves. Witnesses also claim that Istel woman spoke with a lisp and described a gap in her teeth, plus noticeable gold fillings and a crown, an oddity for dentistry in Norway at that time. Shortly after her death, a forensic dentist named Giselle Bang determined that based on the Isdel woman's unusual dentistry, she most likely came from Southern Europe or even Asia. Dr. Bang died in 2011, and it was thought that the jaw of the Isdel woman was accidentally thrown away. Rumor had it that the teeth smelled so offensive, someone tossed them. 
Fast forward to 2017 when the team from Death in Ice Valley journeys to the Hawkland Hospital in Bergen. They rediscover the long-forgotten jaw and teeth from the Istel woman in a remote warehouse, along with her lungs, heart, liver, and other tissue samples perfectly intact. Then they are tested for mitochondrial DNA and genetic genealogy matches. I know this might sound super nerd alert now, but when this was happening on the podcast, it was as exciting as a Fast and the Furious car chase scene. Taking place around the same time as the Golden State Killer finally getting caught, and Jason Moon and his team from Bear Brook Podcast, they just hit a landmark solving the case of those identified bodies from the New Hampshire State Park. It was the dawning of a brand new method to solve cases thanks to now giant genetic databases. I've got my own mixed feelings about genetic genealogy, the ethics and privacy, biosurveillance of the whole thing. It doesn't always sit well with me. Until I come across a beguiling cold case like this one. Then I throw all my principles out the window. I want to secretly cut off little locks of hair from people's heads and send them in for DNA testing. So I can be the one to solve the case of the Isdale woman once and for all. Then throw myself a pizza party with extra garlic sticks. We're not quite there yet, but we do know her full DNA profile. And they were also able to run an isotope test on her teeth and pinpoint where she most likely grew up based on the water she drank. It's probable she grew up near the border of France and Germany. And also in 2017, based on all this new evidence, police artists created a new composite sketch. That's the gist of the hard evidence we've got for now. Oh, and also after re-examining the evidence, the consensus now is that the Isdell woman was most likely murdered. You and I and anyone with a kindergarten level knowledge of this case probably already figured that out by now. Because if this had just been a simple suicide, why wouldn't she just take the pills in a hotel room? Why travel all the way up the side of a mountain in poor hiking gear in late November, lugging up all this extra stuff, take 60 barbiturates, and then set yourself on fire before they fully kick in? But if it wasn't suicide, then what happened? Who was the Estelle woman, and what was she doing in Norway? Well, why don't we speculate wildly? There are no simple Occam's razor explanations here. We've got a range of theories from the complete crackpot to the, eh, I can kind of see that. So let's do a countdown in that order. Theory number six. (laughs) Hairspray accident. Okay, before we get to this theory, first I need to tell you that in addition to the official Bergen police investigation... Norwegian intelligence was also conducting their own secret investigation into the Istel woman. And a former head of the Norwegian Secret Service claimed that she died from a tragic accident. An accident that occurred after the Istel woman went hiking, injected too many barbiturates, and then her can of hairspray spontaneously exploded, catching her on fire and killing her. The second I heard this, I thought it was complete cockamamie and this dude was trying to cover up the real story. Although I have been a little suspicious of that bottle of Aquanet lurking menacingly in my bathroom cabinet ever since. Allow me to wager a more plausible guess. Theory number five. Norse Vampire Hunter. Based on the Istel woman reeking of garlic and that mysterious bruise on her neck. 
Yes, I know this theory is ridiculous, but still not as absurd as that hairspray accident posed by the former head of the Norwegian Secret Service. Theory number four. Art thief and or Czech fraudster. This theory could be its own podcast episode. They go into a lot of detail on Death and Ice Valley about the famous fraudster rings back in the day, especially during the time of traveler's checks. Kids, ask your grandparents. Groups of people who were quite organized and sophisticated with their methods, some even utilizing their own printing press to forge phony checks. This was also post-World War II when tons of valuable art had been stolen and put on the black market. There were many a charlatan, female included, posing as antique dealers, traveling around Europe, brokering black market art deals. I like this theory in theory, but there's more evidence pointing to other theories. Theory number three. Sex worker and or person with mental health issues. Okay, many folks out there think this woman was behaving so secretively because she was a prostitute hence staying at different hotels and covering her tracks with different identities. There are theories that she lied about her age and tried to dress younger, even though her age may have been closer to 40 at the time of her death, based on modern dental testing. For a little more context, a lot of families had been shaken up and separated during World War II, when the Eastdale woman would have been a young girl. It's possible she was Jewish or from another background being persecuted by the Nazis, and maybe her family sent her away before the war broke out. Thousands of young children had been transported via kinder train to safer countries like Belgium, Sweden, and Denmark. Maybe that's what happened to the Eastdale woman, and then her family died in the war, and she was forced to find work and support herself. It's also possible that her strange behavior before death was due to mental illness. It is possible she really did kill herself, or it was an assisted suicide, or she was murdered by a John. Because the Istel woman had been spotted around Europe with several different men. One occasion, she was at a cafe passing a newspaper back and forth to a man with gray hair, although witnesses said they were quiet with their interactions and didn't appear to be romantic. There was another spotting of the Estelle woman with a man matching a different description, buying a mirror at an antique shop. Then another instance of a housekeeper accidentally entering the hotel room whilst the Estelle woman was there with a gentleman friend. Although they were both fully dressed, the man was sitting in a chair, and the woman was near the window, there was no evidence of any hanky-panky going on. I don't think she was a sex worker, but I think we're about to get warmer with theory number two. Cold War Spy. Okay, Obvi, the Cold War was happening at this time, and everyone wanted to know everyone else's business. And this being pre-TMZ, secret agents were the ones being used to get dirt on everyone. And Norway was hiding some pretty good Cold War hot goss including a super-secret project called the Penguin. No, not that kind of penguin. This penguin was an anti-ship missile with cutting-edge passive infrared-seeking technology. Definitely not as adorable as a real penguin. Norway was getting funding from the U.S. and West Germany for this top-secret project, and private testing of the penguin was being conducted at a military base just outside of Bergen. 
A fisherman would later come forward saying that he saw the Eastell woman talking to a man on the military base shortly before her death. A few days after the witness came forward, he was at a train station getting ready to go on vacation with his family when he was approached by two officers who pulled him aside and apparently told him to keep his mouth shut. They could no longer protect him, and then they handed him a gun and a knife. So there's that. Based on her physical descriptions and the way this woman dressed, it was possible she was an Eastern European spying on behalf of the Soviet Union. She could have even been Israeli and part of the Mossad intelligence agency. Both groups were later found to have been active in espionage in Norway during that time. But again, the Eastel woman stood out too much to be a good spy, leaving that memorable offensive smell behind everywhere she went. I guess if she really wanted to fit in with the Norwegian locals, she should have doused herself with pickled herring juice. Ew. Plus, she made all those room-changing demands at hotels and rearranged the furniture. She wasn't exactly flying under the radar. Which makes me think she wasn't an actual spy. But it does bring us closer to who I think this person actually was with my final theory number one. The Eastell woman was a courier passing information to spies and then she was murdered. Yeah, that's pretty much the gist. I think she was traveling all around Europe, meeting with other spies, possibly on behalf of the Soviet Union, with her home base in Italy. Based on the accounts of her Italian style of dress and the frequent mentions of Rome in her codebook. I think during the time of her death, she had been in the process of transporting intelligence information about the Penguin from Norway back to Rome which was a major headquarters for espionage during that time for a lot of reasons. Rome had ties to both Eastern and Western Europe, and even though Rome was home to the Vatican, it was also home to a rising communist party. About one in every 25 Italians was a card-carrying communist. Tons of foreign diplomats would congregate there, plus there were tons of hiding places, rat tunnels, ways to smuggle people and goods via churches and convents. Not to mention access to lots and lots of garlic. So that's my closest guess. There are so many possibilities and new ones emerging all the time. As recently as 2023, an article came out of NZZ titled, In a 50-year-old unsolved death in Norway, an explosive new lead points to a Nazi-allied Swiss banker. And I've got a link for the article in this week's newsletter. The author does quite the convincing job tracking her movements and identities from a hotel in Paris to one in Geneva, along with a guy named Francois Genaud, a man who had connections to that Palestinian militant named Wadi Haddad, who later hijacked three planes, including a Swiss air flight. The most compelling evidence I saw in the article is that it looks like the Istel woman was at a hotel in Paris at the same time Genaud was there secretly meeting with Haddad. There's way more deets to this theory. It gets pretty dark and complicated. And I want to keep this thing at a Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen spy adventure level. But I definitely encourage you to check out that NZZ article if you want the full story. In the meantime, message boards remain abuzz and pilgrimages to Bergen looking for clues about the Isdell woman continue. What's remarkable about Bergen is that it's a city seemingly frozen in time, 
Marit Higraf was able to visit many of the same establishments in 2018 that the Isdel woman visited back in 1970. The same shops and restaurants and hotels with handmade furniture. You really get a sense of what it would have been like to walk in her footsteps over 50 years ago. A fascinating case, and I absolutely think it will be solved soon based on the new DNA testing. And I also think there are folks out there, especially in Bergen, who know more information. I encourage them to stop using their library voices and speak up, buddy. And when the case of the Istel woman is finally cracked, I'll throw a big party with tons of garlic bread in her honor. Because in this story, filled with mysteries, there are still two things we know. Number one, it ain't a real party unless there's garlic bread. And number two, there's no such thing as too much garlic. Never too much, never too much, never too much. Ugh, I'm telling you guys, I barely scratched the surface with this one. There's so much more info out there you can spend hours sifting through if you're interested, including links to that wild Unsolved Mysteries episode on Netflix titled A Death in Oslo about another mysterious woman who died in, you guessed it, Oslo, back in 1995 via shotgun in her hotel room. And get this, all the labels from her clothing were missing. She too had possible connections to intelligence. All very intriguing, and I'd love to hear your theories about this and the Estel woman. You can email me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends, even if they smell like garlic. Stay tuned until after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, hey you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. Before we start the ranking, um, so last week I said I was super pumped for White Devil to drop its first episode. Well, that was scheduled to air back on January 8th, and I still haven't seen anything yet. I've tried searching for more info on the interwebs and tweeted at Campside Media. But as of now, it's still literal radio silence from White Devil. Looks like we've got another unsolved mystery on our hand, folks. The case of the missing true crime podcast. I'll keep you updated on any new leads. And now let's get down to business. Here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have The Raven. Here's a summary from the show page. On January 31st, 2000, 
Just hours after Super Bowl 34, Baltimore Ravens star linebacker Ray Lewis and a group of friends got into an altercation outside of a club in Atlanta's affluent Buckhead neighborhood. Within seconds, two men were dead in the street. Lewis and two friends, Joseph Sweeting and Reginald Oakley, were charged with murder. A media frenzy ensued, but in the end... All three defendants walked free. Less than a year after the killings, Lewis became a Super Bowl champion. He's made millions on and off the field since 2000 and always professed his innocence. But the victims' families still believe there's more to the story. All right, I got a confession. I hate watching sports, especially football, but I love me some sports drama and crime stories. And this show comes from the same dude, Tom Livingston, that did that awesome whistleblower podcast, which I loved and hope to do a deep dive of in the near future. And I'm super pumped that Tom's the one covering the Ray Lewis case because he has an incredible knack for getting candid interviews out of people. I'm looking forward to his nuanced reporting and getting new information on The Raven. At the number two spot, we have Dark Down East. Here's a rundown from the show page. Maine and New England's true crime podcast digs into the decades-old and modern-day cases that prickle the history of vacation land and beyond. Investigative journalist and storyteller Kylie Lowe gets straight to the story with a mix of narrated episodes and documentary-style production featuring interviews with surviving family and friends and insight on investigations from detectives and sources who know these cases best. Ooh, talk about Inside Baseball. I've loved this show for a while now. It literally takes place in my backyard, so I've got six degrees of separation to a lot of these stories. The host, Kylie Lowe, is a class act. She does thoughtful research and treats her subjects with respect. And her show just got acquired by the Audio Chuck Network, and now it's number one on the charts. I'm so excited to see this well-deserved success for a fellow Mainer. She's a real lobster role model. Congrats to Kylie Lowe in Dark Down East. And at the number one spot, we have Cover-Up Body Brokers. Here's a synopsis from the show page. For eight years, Megan Hess ran Sunset Mesa Funeral Home in the small town of Montrose, Colorado. She promised clients discounts on normally expensive cremations, a seeming kindness in a town where many are poor. But in the back of the funeral home, Megan's elderly mother, Shirley, was actually dismembering the dead, and Megan was selling the body parts, heads, torsos, legs, to companies that claim to do medical research. Oh, the show is so creepy. I'm currently on episode two and things are heating up. People are getting wise to Megan's horrific scheme. And as you get to know the families, it makes it all so much more real. Megan's actions are all the more heartbreaking and disgusting. I've said it once, I'll say it again. This story has me shooketh. And I'm counting down the hours for the next episode of Cover Up Body Brokers. Now for my miss of the week. We have Slaycation, True Crimes, Murders, and Twisted Vacations. Here's a synopsis from the show page. 
Slaycation is a gripping and darkly comedic podcast that delves into the chilling world of murders that take place on vacation. Hosted by true crime enthusiast and her comedy writer husband, this unique and hilarious show will have you laughing, gasping, and exclaiming WTF as you go on a twisted journey through the wildest slaycations that will have you canceling your flight. Ugh, I really wanted this one to be good, man. I love the premise. I think it's a great idea. Love the name. Love the cover art, even. But then I heard the actual podcast. Unlike Dark Down East's Kylie Lowe, these hosts are not treating the victims with respect. And I know it's a fine line, man, when it comes to true crime entertainment, especially when you're mixing it with comedy. We all have our own comedic tastes and metrics for what we think is appropriate. This show isn't anywhere close to hitting the target, though. It's not funny, it's just mean. So, Slaycation, I hope you enjoy your final destination down my podcast queue trapdoor. Find out next week if cover-up Body Brokers will be in the number one spot as this series continues or if a new show will swoop in and take its place. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show took a vacation down your podcast queue trapdoor. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to tune in to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding. Thank you.